Good morning, church. As Zach said, my name is Asa. I'm a recent high school graduate. I love Jesus, and I'm excited to bring the word before you this morning. As he said, we'll be reading in John 12, 20 through 50, where you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles with me. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat fails, falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, who said, Lord, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so that they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me, not in me, but in him who sent me, and the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything that I have said. I know that his command is eternal life, so the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Asa. 
I say to my wonderful wife, Andrea, often, and she says, oh, you're just being sweet. And I say, sure, it's just who I am. But more than just being sweet, I'm actually telling you something that is true. Both matter. It's good to be sweet to the ones you love. It's also important to be true. I think you look great. No, I just woke up. I don't. No, you do. Now, what I'm not saying is that uh, what you see this morning, should you see her, is the exact same thing I wake up to. No. But it is. It is. I've always kind of liked my my wife um, when she's looking, say, just her more natural self, whether she's working around the house or just waking up or maybe even not feeling well. There's something about that. I don't know what it is. There's something about that that just makes it more genuine and more real because this is really who she is. Her mom told her that you don't go outside unless you put your lips on. I have no idea what that means. It sounds weird and old. (laughs) You need to put your face on. Again, I don't know how to not have a face on, mom, but that's weird, but I think I know what you're trying to say. It's, I think, how often we just always react with one another. We want to look our best. Somehow, maybe if people could see us looking our best, they would, I don't know, like us more, be more attracted to us. And it's not just true physically. It can actually be true um, uh, kind of just with our behaviors, with our personalities. Excuse him. (laughs) He's not always like this. That's what my wife usually says about me. Excuse him. He's not always like this. He really can be sweet sometimes. There's something about being on your A game. There's something about being on your best behavior that, uh, I don't know, just makes people like you more. And today, what we're going to be learning from these many verses from John chapter 12 is asking and responding to the question, what would Jesus be like at his best? At his best. One way that we could begin to ask and then answer this question is, what is it about Jesus? And there's four different accounts that tell a lot of stories about Jesus. Which one of those draw you in the closest? Which one of those gives you the greatest amount of inspiration or appreciation for who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done? Do you have a favorite? You probably have some kind of a favorite. And again, be careful because it more likely says more about you than it does about Jesus. And also remember this, that one of the greatest ideas about God, um, and if you want to learn more about it, read A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. A few years ago, a number of us men went through that book, and in that book it describes something, and I knew about it, but I had never really had it explained to the depths that Tozer did, but it's called The Simplicity of God the unity of God, the fact that God doesn't shift or move or become different things in different times or different places, but instead God is always God. He doesn't move from being a loving God to being a God who brings judgment. He doesn't move from grace to avenging, but instead God is always God. He is not changing, and that just doesn't mean like over time he doesn't get older. It literally means like he He is so himself. Why is this so important? Because it really shows you, and I'll use two different words, and I think both of them kind of give us a way of understanding God. It gives us a way to see him as faithful. The faithfulness of God. That I know, I know how God is going to respond to a humble and repentant heart. 
It's not conditioned on how he's doing today. No, that's a human problem. Like, I know that you might try to be kind to me. You might try to be welcoming me. But if you have a bad day, well, then who knows what's going to happen? Faithfulness. I know what God is going to do because he has said it. And he's, the other word I like to use is, but we use it so negatively. But I'll tell you, unless you start working with unpredictable people, you don't know the value of predictability. Predictable? Oh, you mean boring? No. I mean faithful. The fact that we know what and how God is going to do. Wow. Like, that's important. So when we talk about Jesus being at his best, we we need to understand that Jesus being fully God is it somehow one. Like, he's not shifting. He's, He's not... Hear me, he's responding, but he doesn't respond exactly like we do. And even when the Bible tries to describe who God is, you do understand that the Bible, even the Bible, the inspired word of God, the God-breathed explanation about who he is, his character and his nature, his plans and his purpose are actually given in a way that um, it condescends. It literally speaks about God in ways that you and I can understand. It just has to. If not, it would be over our heads. When is Jesus at his best? Remember, there is no worst. There is no less. But when do you see Jesus at his best? Some might say it's in his miracles. I mean, that's when all of a sudden it seems like he steps out of his humanity and into his godness, and that is when we see Jesus just being Jesus. And maybe what you want to do is focus not on the simple miracles, think about that for a moment, (laughs) to to break the natural realm. But if I'm honest... I do. I have miracles that just seemed easier than others. Don't you? It just seems easier to turn water to wine than it is to walk on it. It just seems easier to just say, you know, get up and walk than to bring back somebody from the dead. John chapter 11, Jesus shouts out, Lazarus, come out. Now that's a miracle. John chapter 9 even says, wow, I've never, we've never heard of a story of somebody being born blind, receiving their sight. There seems to be miracles that are greater or stronger or demonstrate Jesus maybe at his best. And for you, maybe because you're looking for a miracle, desperate for a miracle, you want that to be true about him and you want to see one as you hang on. Maybe for me too. So Jesus seems at his best. But maybe it's not that kind of greatness that draws you in. Maybe it's another kind of greatness. The other kind of greatness which actually says, this is what I can do, but this is what I choose to do. And it's no longer speaking to the dead, come out. But it's actually speaking to the living about the dead still in John chapter 11, to demonstrate his compassion. Maybe his compassion is when you see Jesus just shining, just really, you know, being Jesus. Yeah, the miracles are good here and there, but I'll tell you, it takes, it takes someone special to have all that power and to have all that might and to still care about a leper, To still have some kind of love and compassion for a woman who is absolutely vulnerable at his feet, demonstrating her brokenness because she's aware of her sin, 
And he doesn't push her away. I mean, it's amazing to think that Jesus, Jesus, the one who can raise the dead and walk on water and even the simple miracles like water to wine and feeding 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. Jesus, when the little kids come up to him, doesn't shoo them away. He welcomes them. Now that's Jesus' best. Like any God can raise the dead, but this is something special. I know people that think this way. I am a people that kind of thinks that way sometimes. I'm absolutely drawn in close to the way that God draws in close people around him. And if I'm honest, it it makes me love him more, appreciate him more. Because sometimes I don't need a miracle. I need a hug. Maybe it's neither of those. Maybe, and and by the way, I doubt if there's just one of these that jumps out at you, but these three things seem to be very common within Jesus' ministry. His miracles, his love and compassion, we see these in John. The word love appears more in John's gospel than all of the synoptics combined, Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. Maybe what it is for Jesus is his teaching, some kind of insight. What I really need is someone to just listen to me. I know what that statement means. I just know, I think if what we're saying is, I really just want there to be a moment in time where people aren't just talking at me or trying to think ahead about what they're going to say, but somebody who will truly listen to me. Yeah, me too. I just need someone to listen to me without knowing what I'm already thinking or knowing what I'm already doing or already judging me. I need somebody to just listen to me. But, after that's said and done, I kind of would like to hear something back. I promise you, if I just sat across from my wife and said, I'm listening, and I never said anything back, she wouldn't say, this relationship is working. She would call me disconnected. She doesn't need me to solve all of her problems or have an answer like that, but she needs me to engage. I need her to engage. Like, I want a conversation. I want to, I want to learn. And maybe the part of Jesus that you're absolutely impressed with when he is teaching. And he gives you some insight that you could have never figured out on your own. He gives you some ability to see the world or to see God or to see yourself. And now all of a sudden, things are really clicking. Things are really shining. You're holding on to his miracles and you're holding on to his love and his kindness. But right now, I don't need a hug. I need a way out. I need a way up. I need a way through. Jesus provides that, you know, being the way, the truth, and the life and all. He does an amazing job of providing wisdom and insight into our lives so that we can understand the nature of God and the nature of us and the amazing distance between those two points. His teaching. I don't know if you're an intellectual and that's why you like it, or I don't know if you're not an intellectual and that's why you like it. It doesn't matter. We all have different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry that draws us in, that holds us close, that gives us strength, that encourages us, that sends us out. Which one of is it for you? And by the way, what does this have to do with John chapter 12? Well, John chapter 12, at the very end, these lot of verses that we decided to keep together It looks like there's a lot of different things happening, but the more that I look at it, the more that we even studied it as a staff, we saw it as a unit. It's a longer unit, but it's a unit. And it begins, strangely, when you actually have a group of individuals, John calls them Greeks, 
Greeks want to see Jesus. They want to meet Jesus. They want to see him and make sure you put your mouth on Jesus. Make sure you look your best. Make, make sure that you demonstrate like really who you are. We don't want to come across. You know, first impressions matter. You know that, right? And so they want to see Jesus. They know Philip is from Bethsaida. And so they go to him. We want to meet Jesus. And, and Philip then goes to Andrew. Every time you see Andrew in John's gospel, he's bringing people to Jesus. We'll end our sermon by realizing that we have that same responsibility. We'll get to that later. Philip to Andrew. Andrew to Jesus. There are some Greeks that want to meet you. And then all of a sudden, like a screech in the record, <laughs> Jesus says, well, let me tell you about what's about to happen. I'm going to die. And it's like they're sitting there learning, listening, and then wondering, I don't think you heard the question. What I love about Jesus is that he always hears the question. For the most part, he seems to answer them, but he always answers more than what they're asking. Here's the question. We've met some Greeks who want to meet you. Jesus' response, I'm about to die on a cross. What do those two things have to do with each other? Everything. Everything. Because there are some people that want to see Jesus on their terms. I need a miracle. I need a hug. I need some insight. Jesus will bring it all. The simplicity of God. He will bring it all. But he's not Burger King. He's a different kind of king. You can't have it just your way. Isn't it Burger King that does that? Do it, do it, okay. So you can't just, uh, I would like it, but here's what I want. I really hate pickles, and I don't like tomato. Who doesn't like tomato? But I don't, I don't want that, and so can I? And we do that. We walk up to Jesus. Hey, could I have two miracles? Um, can I also get, like, one hug and then three really, really cool uh, words of, of uh, inspiration, like insight, Jesus? And Jesus says to us more than ever, I just want you to know I'm going to die on a cross for you. Thanks. Anyway, back to my miracle. Anyway, back to my teaching. Anyway, back to my hug. One of the most obvious and yet important things, God always comes on his own terms, not ours. And I'm telling you, that may frustrate you. You want it that way. You need him that way. In his fullness, not at your discretion. The cross is Jesus at his best. The cross is Jesus at his best. It's why he came. That's what the text actually says. So they ask the question in verse 21, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus points out very, very clearly to the disciples primarily, well, this is who I am. Do you think they're still going to want to see me? He's talking to the disciples. This is who I am. Are you going to stay with me? This is a repeated theme in John's gospel. Whether you're Nicodemus coming to him at night, whether you're a woman completely shocked, not even knowing that you're looking for him. You're looking for him, but you're looking for the prophet and you don't know who he is. And you're just going to get a drink. And next thing you know, there he is. On his terms, not hers. And here's who I am. And here's what I offer. I love this teaching. I just love that. I love this compassion. Two in one. What a great chapter, John 4. And Jesus, yeah, but it doesn't end at a well. It doesn't end at a pool. 
It doesn't end that way. And so this is what's happening in John's gospel. And here we are in 12, and 12 begins. Six days before the Passover. What does that mean? We've been doing this for a few weeks. The final week of Jesus' life before he goes to die. And what John does not want you to think is that somehow this happened to him. Like somehow they got ahead of him. Somehow Jesus' plan was disrupted. He was there to really put an end to the poor. He was there to really put an end to suffering. He was going to set up a hospital, you know. It was going to make all the difference in the world. You know, he was going to set up a, a food kitchen, right? And he was really good at making food for people, right? No. His whole plan and purpose is to go to a cross to demonstrate power and compassion and brilliance at a cross. I don't know if Andrew went to Philip and Philip went back to the Greeks and said, he'll see you, but it's a little more complicated than you think. We're still learning what it means to follow him. I can imagine Philip and Andrew saying, and every time we talk to him, and every time we think we have it, he keeps talking about this cross. In John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, this is how Jesus says it. Right in this middle, as, as I can imagine, Philip and Andrew going, we really need to get back to them. Like, how far is this story going? And Jesus, it's going all the way to the cross, Philip. It's going all the way to the cross, Andrew. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, but what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came. I came for this hour. Father, glorify your name. There's the word. Jesus at his best. Jesus in all of his glory. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. And that was not for Jesus' benefit, although I'm sure he benefited from it. Jesus says, that was for you. Because what is about to happen, what you are about to see, what you're about to experience, nobody, nobody could fathom. Jesus will not stay in your classroom. He will not stay by your hospital bed. Jesus will not stay just kind of, you know, at your birthday party, cheering you on. In the end, Jesus is on his way to a cross because you need more than like a hug and a temporary miracle and some words of wisdom. You need him fully in his glory. I need him fully in his glory. And Jesus says, this is it. This is what it looks like. This is who I am. This is why I have come. This is my glory. And then he says something that is very interesting. Look at verses 31 through 33. Because this is why I love the depth. And Ryan, wherever you are, I'm in. Okay, John's my favorite now. You win, you win. Okay, I was a Matthew guy for a long time. I'll apologize to Matthew later, but I'm, I'm, I'm really becoming a John guy. Um, I, I love like the beauty of this where Jesus is, is like speaking and every time he speaks, you can just get a sense there's more to this. There's so much more to this. 
Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. And now the ruler of this world is going to be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was about to die. So it's not just about like a cross. This is why you cannot just have a sentimentality about the cross. It's not, oh, isn't that cute? Like what love? No, 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 no. Save that for Christmas. It works much better, better with babies. Although, God putting on human flesh, it may not be just even appropriate at Christmas. We're not talking about sentimentality. We're talking about the amazing splendor and the greatness, the, the, the drawing in of the demonstration of God's love and God's power to us. Sure, there's a sentimental component. There is a, a witnessing of God's love and mercy that causes the kindness of God to cause me to repent. But it's not cute. It's humbling. It's overwhelming. It's something to be received. Not, not just uh, casually appreciated. It's something to be embraced. And Jesus says, the judgment of the world has come. Like That's the power of God. It's, it's at the cross of Jesus. More, so think about it. When he says, Lazarus, come out. I don't know what the devil was thinking, but the devil gets one more, if we can think in these terms, right? One more shot at Lazarus. Lazarus dies again. That's why Jesus says, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. So you may think you've won, but no, 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 no. I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to win. And, and the devil at the cross, right? Everything else is temporary. Um, seeing, when, when my dad was finally diagnosed as not having his eyesight anymore because of macular degeneration, the doctor's afraid to tell him, Mr. Johnson, you're blind. And my dad said, I'm already aware of that, sir. Actually, I think he called him young man. I'm already aware of that young man. And by the way, it happens to all of us at some point in time. These things stop working. No, that's not true, Dad. There's something that Jesus Christ did when he made a blind man see, lame man walk. There is something temporary about that. And at the cross, there is something permanent about that. And do you see the difference? And it's at the cross that the devil loses all of his power, not just in death, because Jesus will bring our bodies back to life, but there is no real, there's no, not real, there's no accusation that the devil can make about you again. The devil can say nothing about you. When you've given your life, when you've given your sins to God through the cross of Jesus Christ, the devil can no longer deceive, the devil can no longer destroy, the devil can no longer accuse you, before God or anybody else. Because what Jesus Christ demonstrates at the cross is the amazing power and love and wisdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Like, isn't that winsome? Like, it's that moment. 
It's that moment that brings life and hope and health. It is at that moment that I can realize that, wow, it doesn't matter anymore. I don't have to hide. I don't have to lie. I don't have to put my mouth on or my face on. I am who I am. Because of who Jesus Christ has now made me to be, who Jesus Christ has redeemed me to be, who Jesus Christ is restoring me to be. And only at the cross do we have such insight. And that is why Jesus says right here, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus talks rather uh, clearly for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be betrayed, will be handed over to sinful men, uh, will be mocked and scourged and spit upon, um, and then I will be killed, and then three days later I will be raised again. And the disciples went, that is so vague. Like, they, they, they literally said that. I wonder what he's talking about. Like, for you and I, it's like, that is so easy. In John, it is more cryptic. Now, hear me, they understood they understood it because the, they respond back in this text. Wait a second, we thought the Messiah was not supposed to die. So they understood what he meant, but he uses much, it's, it's very powerful language. It's drawing back into a story in the book of Numbers when Moses put a bronze snake on a staff and lifted it up and everyone who looked upon this was healed. And Jesus says, just like that in John 3, the other time he uses this idea of being lifted up, when I do this, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw all men to myself. So, hey, Andrew, thank you very much for bringing them. That's great. Hey, Philip, I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate the invitation. But I'm the one drawing these people. I'm really, really glad, Rachel. You're sharing Jesus with your friends. That's awesome. And uh, you're sweet and kind, and I'm sure they just think you're just the nicest lady they've ever met. Jesus will be the one to draw people to himself, won't he? I'm not saying he doesn't use our compassion. I'm not saying he doesn't use our uh, insights. But Jesus is not in heaven, and God is not in heaven going, wow, I really hope Jim explains this right. And he's doing that when you share the gospel this week with somebody. I'm just trying to figure out the right words to say. I don't know. You could be as simple as, for God loved the world so much that he sent his son and he died on the cross to demonstrate his love and his plan and his purpose. And all you need to do is believe that that is the way to God. And then, by the way, make sure you close with a really cool sentimental story about, I don't know, you rescuing a puppy. And that'll close the deal. Yeah, what preachers and teachers need to hear, Jesus saying, and I will draw all people to myself. You tell the story of me. You tell the story of what I have done for you. And it can be very specific. I, I have stuff that Jesus has done for me. Andrea and I have stuff. And Andrea and I and the boys and our family, we have, we have things that the Lord has done for us that are incredible. And so often, kind of like Thanksgiving, we can spend all of our time talking about all of our blessings and never talk about a cross. When is LeBron James in his glory? You know. Like, when is Adele in her glory? You know. 
Like, like when, whatever it is, like, when is Tom Hanks, whoever it is that you have in your field, when are they in their glory? When are they just at their best? And that's it for Jesus. Because he loves you and it's more than sentiment. Because he's come to give you life. And it is as real as your next breath. He's come to give you hope in the midst of despair. And you don't need a miracle. You need that miracle. And you don't just need wisdom and brilliance. You need that brilliance. And, and you don't need just a hug. Although Paul does say to the Corinthian church, and that God, through the cross, was, this is one translation, I love it, hugging the world to himself in Jesus. Yeah, he was. When, 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 when Isaiah the prophet was speaking about inviting people in, speaking for God, he said this, come let us reason together. Let's think with God for a moment. And you know where they went? Not at just how God was smarter than you in math and chemistry or could figure out English grammar because I don't know if anyone really understands that. But no, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Who is going to do that? A holy God. How is he going to do that? By giving up of, of himself. By sending his son to die in our place. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. Like, I don't know the reason why anybody would ever do that. And God said, exactly. <laughs> you will never get to the end of me. You'll never fully understand why I would do it. Why I would stoop so low. I do it because that's the kind of God I am. What we're trying to see here, in John chapter 12, Paul says it this way. Jesus is existing in the very form of God, did not consider being one with God or equality with God as something to be just exploited or held on to. And so he emptied himself and assumed the form of a servant, taking the likeness of humanity. And when he became a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God exalted him. God glorified him. God exalted him and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because it is Jesus in his glory demonstrating God's love for us, his love for us, his redemption to us, his restoration of us at the cross of Jesus. What kind of wisdom, what kind of, what kind of like a... A alluring speech can you offer when God offers this? Here's my sermon in a sentence. It is at the cross that we see the greatest expression and incarnation of God's miraculous power, irresistible compassion, and incomprehensible brilliance at the same time. God, for himself, for us, in Jesus. What do we do? Two things, and you'll see this theme coming up again during our time of reflection. The first one is this. 
is this something I have received? Have I received this? I really believe that there are many in this room, just because there's lots in this room. There's many in this room that have received part of Jesus, like his miracles. I've received part of Jesus, his love, kind of on my own terms, though. I've received part of Jesus, his teaching. Like, I, 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 will, I will acknowledge what he says, and I believe it to be true, but my heart is still closed to him. My heart is not open to him. I, I'm, not, I'm not sensing, experiencing, completely devoted to him. That's not what God desires. That's not his plan. I don't know what you wrestle with, but in the end, to understand Jesus at the cross is to understand really what God desires for you, which is restoration to himself. You coming to terms with your own sin, with God's holiness, and his, his eternal love. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, I'm not going to lie to you. They'll be white as snow. I'm telling you the truth. Jesus is greater than your sin. And so is his love. Receive it. Have you received it? What is keeping you from receiving today? God's eternal love for you in Jesus. If you, if you don't get that, um, we're going to just keep coming back to it. It's okay, I promise you. You're not the first one to have to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. And we are going to keep telling you and we are going to keep demonstrating the power of the gospel and the goodness of God. And we're going to keep pointing back at the cross but I just don't think I can preach John 12 without actually stopping and saying, have you received this? God, Jesus, at his best. And for those of you that have received it, then I, I just don't know how you look at this, especially with, you know, Philip and Andrew leading the way, helping others experience it. I don't know if I'll have all the answers. My friends have all these questions about miracles and I don't understand how Jesus walked on water. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I just know that he did. I'm not saying the miracles don't come with their own questions. How did he feed 5,000 people? I don't know. I just know that he did. Yeah, in the broken world, I'm have a hard time seeing his love. I know, I get it, but he does. Paul even says that the Greeks seek wisdom and the Jews seek signs, but I preach the foolishness, foolishness of the cross. Don't be surprised. Not everybody is going to be as impressed with this wonderful message as hopefully you are. It doesn't matter. We say it anyway. Why? Because Jesus, through the cross, will draw people to himself. There's no trick. There's no magic. He will do it through you. Next time you wonder, does it matter if I say anything? God is not dependent on you, but he's chosen to use you. Say it. Show it. And you'd be amazed at what Jesus does. He's been doing it for a long time. Have I received it? If you've already received it, who can I tell this to? Who can I share this with? Let's think about those things before you and I embrace together.
what he has done for us around the table.